Hey folks, welcome to the Music of the Spheres podcast. We are broadcasting tonight from somewhere deep in the hills of upstate New York. Wherever, whenever, and however you're listening, we thank you for being part of our universe. We are two brothers, bivocational ministers, seekers of truth, and drinkers of yellow beer. And this is not the first time that we've done this part of the show tonight, actually. (laughs) (laughs) We've been in the studio for over an hour, and we recorded the first segment, and then uh, we found out after we stopped recording the first segment that something glitched out, and it was gone. Yeah. And... So we didn't really record. So we didn't. We thought we did, though. And um, it it was actually the best segment we've ever done. Now that I think about it, we were extremely funny. Um, Funny. Eloquent. (laughs) Yes. Um, Uh, We had some some mind-blowing things to say. Yeah, a lot of wisdom shared. (laughs) We talked about your haircut. Um, You know, I was having a thought about that (laughs) just as you started. Remember the, the Samson story? Yeah. Cuts off all his hair. Yeah. Loses his power. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I somehow did that to your computer (laughs) by cutting (laughs) off my hair. You cut your hair. Sort of like energy uh, connection with your computer. Exactly. Lost its ability to record anything longer than two minutes. Exactly. Because everything was running along fine, and then all of a sudden the screen didn't look great from my perspective <laughs> but we were close to the end of the segment anyway and i said ah well let's just keep going and uh yeah and then we stopped recording and yeah found really out that we a, stopped recording a, a long time like at least it'll like save what happened before the yeah i was like at, at worst case scenario we'll be, yeah. well, we've got a shorter first segment and you know it's something's still there and we'll but it was all gone the podcast was like please stop talking about beer <laughs> yes yes <laughs> when uh, will these guys shut up <laughs> So uh, yeah, uh, and and so we, you know, you didn't really miss much. Actually, we did a, a, a the daily horoscope reading for Cancer, which is because the moon is in Cancer. Um, we did talk about Jason's haircut. Uh, we drank some Rolling Rock beer, which mm-hmm. it, it's an interesting beer to talk about. But we're not going to rehash all that. You can drink Rolling Rock and pretend you're enjoying it with us sometime or maybe we'll do it again who knows we could do rolling rock again yeah but the sad part about it actually was that we lost lila's mind of the middle schooler because she was actually being quite profound yeah for an 11 year old almost 12 year old um the question that we asked her was um what is beauty and she immediately said well there's two kinds of beauty there's inner beauty and there's outer beauty and she i won't really even do it justice because it Sounded so mm-hmm. eloquent coming off of uh, you know kids um, out of a kid's mouth and out of her mind, but it was yeah, it was really nice to hear her kind of focus in on beauty. Truly lies within someone; mm-hmm. it doesn't have to do with what they look like. Which is really wasn't where I was going with the question. I was really more like, what makes something beautiful to the eye? pleasing right. to the eye and she talked about that too she definitely made the distinction that there's two different ways of understanding mm-hmm. beauty but it was really nice and um i'm so that that's really the part that i'm bummed we lost because we won't get that one back the other stuff we can talk about your haircut and rolling rock whenever yeah. we want <laughs> the things people really want to hear about <laughs> yeah we should include a picture of of just your hair on the social medias for people i can uh, yeah i can 
get down low, like I usually take the picture of the beer yeah. and just like have the top of my hair. Yeah, yeah. Like your your picture with yes, it. just your hair should be the backdrop behind the Rolling Rock <laughs> models, so that everybody can see what's going on. Right. You know, upstairs. I don't think I ever took a picture of the long hair though, so I don't know if it really. Yeah, well, it really matters. That'll that'll teach people to not see what you look like all the time. <laughs> <laughs> How dare they not stalk me on <laughs> Facebook and Instagram? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're a public figure, you know, being <laughs> minister, so people can find images of you if they yeah. they need to. Yeah, yeah. I'm a public figure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's gonna be running for office soon. I think. <clears throat> anyway. So we are. Oh, the other thing. You oh yeah, we talked about uh, that. I have a cold, as we talked about. So. Yeah. Well, allergies. I thought we said. Oh yes, you're right. It is. It just sounds like I have a cold. Yeah. It feels like I have a cold. And we really didn't just... know if it was sniveling, sniffling, or snuffling, <laughs> or dribbling, <laughs> or dribbling. <laughs> there can be all kinds of things that I'm doing. Yeah, dribbling. <laughs> <laughs> not dribbling. We established that I'm not doing that. Yeah. That comes from the mouth, right? <laughs> Well, drivel comes well, from the mouth too, right? <laughs> I don't that's know. Drivel. Speech is drivel. I don't okay. know. If you say you, stuff that's not that's of dribble. substance, that's yeah. drivel. Yeah. Yes. And you can like be dribbling as you say it, like <laughs> like dribbling spit. Isn't that drooling? That's <laughs> well, that's what's that's what's confusing. Is it sniffling, sniveling, or snuffling? I don't know. I don't know. I'm doing at least two of those though. Because there's multiple things happening over yeah, here. That's why I'm sitting. I'm like pretty far away today. <laughs> Set up your chair a little farther away in the studio. About as far away as possible. Ah, whew. Nobody wants to get sniveled on. I know. Who who wants that? I mean, that that's like, yeah. Yeah, it's no fun. On it's my no list fun. of priorities. <laughs> uh all right, so what we decided to do is just we're going to go right into uh, segment two. So um, th- that concludes segment one. Welcome to segment two of the Music of the Spheres podcast. Um, and uh, w- w- so I'm, I'm actually sharing tonight on a book that I was going to just do as a, a one-off, one episode on. Um, but it's uh, it turned out to be pretty fascinating, especially the end of it where... Uh, it's going so i wanted to spend more time on the on the closing chapters of this book so i decided to break it into to two episodes so tonight's going to be the beginning mm. kind of laying part one part two yeah yeah the, leave them wanting more yeah yeah because then they'll have to send an email oh that's that's the thing we forgot to say too so you got to send us an email oh yeah it's brothers at music of the spheres podcast yep. dot com or if you don't want to send a whole email like you know little message on facebook yeah, there you go. Anything. Yeah. Anything will do. Just let us know you're out there. Um, but anyway, th- this book is called um, Matrix of Creation, Sacred Geometry in the Realm of the Planets, mm. written by uh, a Scotsman, Richard Heath. Uh, and he's uh, he's like a Scottish um, web developer, uh, author, and he has degrees in electrical and computer engineering. Mm. And it actually doesn't say that he's Scottish. It says he lives in Scotland. So he could be not Scottish but living there. But. Mm. He's probably wearing a kilt, though. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, if yes, when in Rome, as they say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, it, uh, the writing is, you know, it's definitely... Scottish. Well, yeah, I mean, I, it's <laughs> it's just a little... It's a little thicker we... with a little bit more flowery, you know, verbosity oh. to it. Okay. So it's sometimes it's a little bit challenging in that way, but 
you know, I I just get the sense that he's not, you know, that he is from a different culture. Hmm. No. Let's, speaking of the planets, uh, Venus is like currently doing this <laughs> lovely dance with the crescent moon, like a yeah. Beautiful yeah. uh, interplay right. in the night sky right now. I know. It's cool that you mentioned that because I'm actually going to talk about that tonight. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Maybe you aren't because who knows. Oh, right. Yeah. This, you may not be listening to this right now. <laughs> this may not be recorded. <laughs> we think it is. It looks like it is. But the last time I saw that happening, it didn't. So I'm just going to keep a close eye on everything over here. Uh, I'm the... <laughs> vastly underqualified technical director yeah. of this podcast. <laughs> podcast is in the eye of the beholder. Too. Yeah. <laughs> what is beauty? <laughs> Not this. <laughs> what is podcast? <laughs> what is record button? <laughs> the one I didn't push. No, I did push it. I'm, I'm certain I pushed the button. I think I just, it just unpushed itself. And then, and then stuff got deleted. Like it, it unpushed itself. <laughs> His button was like, I shall not be pushed. <laughs> I shall unpush myself. But anyway, uh, this book is really interesting to me. And it's very Music of the Spheres-y um, because it uh, it takes, once again, a, a, a what, what would probably be considered a, a mainstream or materialist understanding. And it and it pushes back against that. right? Or uh, Or just sort of the... You know, a, a common, you know, understanding of, uh, all right, yeah, we just sort of live in a random, you know, universe, whatever. Um, so, and that's what, that's why the book is titled Matrix of Creation. Um, what, what Richard Heath is really going to attempt to do, um, and you can get all of this just by reading the back of the book. So, <laughs> I'm not telling you anything super profound yet, but what he's trying to do, this is just an intro, um, is to, is to really try to push back against the idea that the formation of the solar system and really, you know, the the galaxy and the whole cosmos uh, is not just accidental. That there's mm-hmm. uh, there's a signature, and he calls it a matrix, right? Throughout the whole thing that can be found at different levels um, that points to uh, a, a element of design. That it's you know it's there's there's intentionality and um, different this matrix is what he calls it is woven through all of creation that can be observed um, if we just look um, and so it reminds me of the episode that you did on the Fibonacci sequence mm-hmm. where you talked about you know sort of this this mark of the uh, mark of the creator mark of the maker on on the creation that is made. You know, just like a, you know, a good artist or, you know, craftsperson would put together a beautiful piece of work and then, you know, have their signature mark that they always leave on every piece of art that they make, right? This is kind of what he's getting at yeah. in this book. And so it's, it's really interesting in that way. And he comes at it from a actually very mathematical, technical place. Um, so there's a lot of math in this book. Um so I'm going to do my best to just kind of characterize all of that because <laughs> uh, talking about a lot of math on a podcast is mm. probably not the best thing. And I, also, I some of it, I understood the result and the conclusion, but not so much the process and the method sometimes, <laughs> right? There's like, okay, I, I trust that you 
you know, as a math guy, did your math right, <laughs> you know? Uh, and I just have to kind of trust that because there's certain, you know, he gets into some stuff that's pretty mathy. Well, um, yeah. I maybe speak for many of us out there that say, thank you for not talking about math. <laughs> yeah. You're welcome. Although I am going to talk about some, some math. Yeah. Uh, he begins um, with the overall notion that um, we as human beings look at the sky. Um, and uh, before we had all this other stuff to dis- distract us from looking at the sky, like, you know, computers and TVs and cell phones and, you know, all the stuff that keeps us in our houses at night, human beings have spent a lot of time looking at the sky at night and watching the stars Um and not even just the night sky, but tracking the movement of the sun um, and how all of that sort of hangs together. And what, you know, uh, came out of it was that this is really where the structures of our understanding of time have developed. Um, he's not talking about it from a sort of a philosophical point of view, like like we have on the show. We've talked about, you know, sort of the bigger question of what actually is time you right. know, um, but he's saying more that the ancient peoples would, you know, view uh, events in the sky, watching the way that uh, you know that, that things moved, and they would they would see the the stars that would move the same way every night, right? They'd go across the sky um, in the same way every single night, changing with the seasons. Um, but returning back to where they where they were in the next you know the next time that particular season rolls around, mm-hmm. but then they notice these other stars that weren't following those same patterns of motion, right? And they called them the wanderers, right? which is where the word planet derives from. Sure. Um, and because they're the they were the in, in their eyes at the time stars that didn't follow the same pattern as everything else they're wandering around the sky moving in in odd ways they'll move across the night sky but then they'll stop and they'll make a little loop and turn back the other way and that that all has to do with you know as from our perspective on earth looking out into the solar system and other planets that are moving and we're moving in you know relation to them Mm -hmm. as well and so sometimes looks you know like they're moving closer to us or farther away or doing a loop in the sky or whatever, right? So um, he said, he sort of starts everything off by saying, by observing the motion of all the celestial bodies is really where the, you know, the setting up of time came from, right? The, the, the division of, of days, obviously, is set by the rising and the setting of the sun. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, the opposing part of that is the moon. Um, and then, you know, of course, with that also then comes seasons, which help us understand a year, things like that, right? But what he talks about is that th- these things, you know, they don't all line up in this, like, perfect, you know, singularity of, like, everything is a simple multiple of all the other stuff, right? Right. It's not like, you know, everything is, like, the moon spins at exactly twice the, you know, or rotates around the earth and mm-hmm. in exactly the same number of times every year that the earth goes around the sun, right? It's it's not these simple things. Right. Um, so at first glance, it looks chaotic, right? But when you start to study the actual motions of all these objects, it's not chaotic. There's actually a lot of 
real uh, synchronicity to all of it that it that it comes together in these particular ways linking certain elements of our solar system in certain ways that then uh really lead to like basic elements of life mm-hmm. that's kind of where he's where he's getting at that yeah. this is all more deeply connected than it at first glance looks like it is because i mean if you're just looking at it as as a single human being a lot of these things you can't you can't track you know right. uh, these things take a longer time frame you know you can't just look at the night sky you know for a year and really learn anything about it cuz you have to look at it the next year and compare it to the year before that mm-hmm. right and then you have to take some good notes and compare it in future years and count how many years things are taking, <laughs> you know? And so this is a long process. So it really requires, you know, the, uh, more than just, you know, individual observation. It requires sort of group work, you know, as a, as a human culture or civilization, you have to kind of work on this stuff over time with, you know, with others. Right. Um, so the first one that he gets into is um, the, the uh, relationship between the Earth year and uh, what are called lunations, which uh, lunation is the cycle of the new moon to the full moon and okay. then back again, right? Oh, which is sure. it's different than the lunar orbit, right? Because the lunar orbit, um, which the, he'll, he'll refer to as the sidereal orbit, um, the lunar orbit is slightly different. Um, slightly different number of days than the lunation cycle of the moon. So it just so happens that the lunation cycle of the moon is 12 uh, and one third. Uh, it, it goes through 12 and one third lunations in a year. Okay. Um, so what that means is it's not a whole number against one year of, of the earth's rotation around the sun. Yeah. The, the moon is actually going through 12 and a third lunation cycles, which means that the lunation cycles of the moon are actually, it's, it's actually a three-year cycle because you get 12 and a third, 12 and a third, 12 and a third, right? Um, so you say that's like uh, one lunation is uh, like new moon to full moon back to new moon? Yeah. Yeah. It's new moon to new moon, essentially. Yeah. <clears throat> right. Is is one lunation? Okay. Yep. So um, that's why you know it, it's you roughly have a full moon every month, you know, right? But but, not, it's, but it's always moving in the calendar, yeah. right? It's not like every month starts off okay. It's the first day of the month we have a full moon. Yeah. You know, it's Actually, always and that would be that would not be as beautiful, I guess. Is right. A way to say that. Right. Right. But the interesting part is, and this is what he's saying, is that there is beauty in it because it 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 is a cycle. That is, that is actually really tightly woven. It's just not a one-year cycle. It's a three-year cycle. So if we look at it just from a single year, right, then it's not, it's, it's, it doesn't, it looks like chaos. Like, I mean, you can look at, we have the 2023 moon chart up behind us. Right. And it definitely, there's a pattern there as, as you look at it, right? You can see this, this slice going through the middle because it's an image of the actual phase of the moon. So yeah, like a diagonal. Yeah, there's yeah. like a diagonal slice through the middle where all the new moons all are. All the new moons are. Yep. Um, but what, I, I mean, wouldn't it be pretty boring if all of the new moons were like in the first week or 
somewhere around the first three days of every yeah. month, right? Or same with full moons, right? It's kind of nice that they're varied. Yeah, exactly. Like that. Yeah. Yeah, and it, and it makes for, you know, sort of an interesting um, character to a year, right? Mm-hmm. That all these things are, this year is particularly different, right? Yeah. Companies that sell posters can sell a new one every year now. <laughs> so they like that too, for yeah. that reason, right? Yeah. Um, but because it is it is different every year, right? And you need to you need to understand it because of that. Yeah. So that's the first one. So the moon is essentially a three-year cycle. So you look at the moon number, moon number could be three, mm-hmm. right? Um, well, then uh, if you look at the earth, um, and this this stuff is really fascinating to me, but we've talked about this before on the show that the earth's axis is actually tilted, mm-hmm. right? Now, this is, is something you learn like, you know, probably is this our mind of the middle schooler? Second? Yes, yes. This Are we the... smarter than a sixth grader? Yeah, yeah. We'll see. No, no, probably not. No. Not these yeah. days. <laughs> Which one is it? Axis? Yeah. <laughs> is that the X or the Y? <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, so the axis is tilted, right? Right. Um, and we'll talk about this later. That the the tilt of the axis actually changes too, and that's on a much longer scale of something like 26 27,000 years. Okay. And that's called precession and that's the actual axis s- sort of spinning around in a in a circle like a top. Okay. And the top's about to fall, sure. you know, the, you'll see that the top of the top starts to make a little circle as it's spinning, right? Um and that's precession. So that's actually changing. We'll talk about that in a minute, but the current state that our earth's axis is in is at a degree that's tilted um, enough so that as it goes around the sun, um, you can measure four different points. You can measure when the earth is tilted away as far as it can be from the sun, from the, when the North Pole is tilted away as far as it can be. Then you can measure the opposite of that when the North Pole is tilted in as far as it can be, right? And then you can measure the two points in between where it's it's exactly halfway. Right. Right. So in the orbit of the Earth in a single year, you can measure four points and you can cut it into four sections. Right. So the lunation cycles of the moon are a, a segment of three because it's a three year cycle. Mm-hmm. Right. And the um, the way that the Earth's um, uh, axis gives us four different points to measure. Right. With the you can figure out which ones, right? The winter solstice is mm-hmm. when it's all the way tilted away in the North Pole. The summer solstice is when it's tilted forward or towards the sun all the way. Mm-hmm. And then the other two, there are the equinoxes, the vernal and autumnal in yep. between, right? So you have those. Now that splits it into four. So now you have three and four uh, together. Um, <clears throat> now you could take a look at Saturn is the next thing that he talks about. This is all just in the first chapter, so I'm. This who knows? Maybe this will be a three-part three, part, three <laughs> trilogy. Part yeah, yes, the trilogy of the Matrix of Creation. Yes, um, but uh, anyway, that aside, he gets into uh, talking about Saturn, and um, Saturn has uh, this interesting thing where uh, it's it has to do with. Um, and let me actually let me look it up so I don't get it wrong, but it's this thing called the Saturn return, 
Um, and it has to do with um, Saturn makes a, a, a retrograde loop in the sky. If you observe Saturn, which is one of the vis- planets that's visible to the naked eye. Mm-hmm. So if you observe it every... It's big and gassy. Yes. <laughs> it's big and gassy. It's got rings, too. <laughs> yeah. Not ringworm. <laughs> it's all blinged out and big and gassy. <laughs> yeah. I don't, it's just, I don't know what else to say about it. Well, there's it. just way too many inappropriate jokes <laughs> that could be made right now. I'm not going to. We can to. put the E next to our uh, our podcast about the planets. <laughs> I mean, there's all the Uranus jokes. So. <laughs> yeah, well, we're not talking about that one. All right. Yes, yes. Okay. We're not going to talk about that planet <clears throat> on this show. That one. <laughs> yeah, well, because it's not it's not visible with the naked eye. Oh, okay. <laughs> which we're thankful for. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's not visible with the naked eye, so it doesn't show up in this uh, in this okay. analysis great uh but anyway saturn if you track it every night <clears throat> you can you can pick this point out where it makes a loop um in, in you know in the sky and turns back because um, it goes backwards for a second and then it'll continue on um and that's called a retrograde loop and it's just when it when the and this is what made planets uh, initially be called wanderers, wanderers right? Yeah. It's because they would do things that all the other, the stars are just moving in an arc. They just go across the sky um, and things change a little bit with the seasons, but um, but they can be measured pretty uh, statically year to year. Yeah, Wanderers are different. The planets are different, right? So they, they noticed this. And what they found out was that um, for the, for Saturn to, to do all these little loops um, and go around uh, and come back to the same place, that it would come back to exactly the same point in the sky every uh, 29 years. So take 29 years. So you'd have to watch this and track it. And in the 29th year, it's going to come back to almost exactly the same place in the sky. Wow. And when it does that, it completes its 28th loop. So it's coming through and finishing its 28th loop. So this is where he starts getting into some some uh, wicked math because he's doing, you know, he's saying that this is um, essentially 28 29ths. Um, so our, our year is 28 29ths of Saturn's uh, synodic period, which essentially means that, you know, our, our year is equal to 28 29ths of Saturn's uh, year essentially because of this you know this is where i'm just explaining the math and how it comes out you don't yeah. have to know you don't need to know 28 29ths um all you know, to sort of figure it out um but but this is just yet another spot where um where 28 uh comes into play as as a, a number and i said on our last episode that 28 is my favorite number yeah right and so that was episode 28 my favorite number, and now we're on episode twenty nine. So it's like pretty cool that this <laughs> happened to, right, yeah. when I was actually going to do this a couple episodes ago. You know, this was actually supposed to be episode twenty eight, but now it's you know episode twenty nine uh, when we're talking about twenty eight twenty nine. So it's just kind of cool. Never, I didn't plan it that way. Um, and so he uh, he actually found that. Uh, so this is called a, the Saturn return, and you know something that could be tracked. Um, and this corresponds to the uh, inner circles of the Stonehenge uh, monument. It's called, well, there's there's an inner circle where there's holes in the ground called Aubrey holes. And I don't, they're not exactly sure what 
they would be used for. At least he doesn't say. But you know these these holes could be positioned around there, um, and there's 56 of them, which is two times 28. Right? That's math we can do here. Yep. All right, and uh, so so every uh, year they would they could move a marker two stones or two holes over in um, in the Stonehenge monument to track Saturn's um, Saturn's loops in the sky, uh, and, and when they would come mm. back to that same spot. Okay, right. So twenty eight um, is uh, a multiple of seven, right? Um, is mm-hmm. four times seven. Uh, and you know, three times four, uh, three from the moon, four from the earth is seven. And you know, so this, this seven is a sort of a special number is kind of where he's getting at here. Um, and, uh, so I, you know, I think that's just kind of a, kind of a neat idea. Um, and so what he then gets into talking about is, um, this idea that, uh, because of um, because of this because of all of what he's finding here, he's sort of starting things out with with um, Saturn. You know, he he just lays out that stuff about the moon and the Earth to kind of give us a baseline. And Saturn is the first planet that he starts with, um, and then he's going to work his way towards Jupiter, and he's going to work his way towards the moon. Then he's going to work his way towards. Um, planet earth which is where the biosphere is which is where humanity exists Mm -hmm. right um and what he's saying is that that all of this stuff kind of leads to the formation of life on earth right that that this ability to have a biosphere is related to the moon and we've you know that that's something that i think a lot of you know astrophysicists and and biologists would you know would say that the moon is extremely important to life on earth is the way that it you know um it acts as a it acts as like a break on planet earth in the rotation so it keeps it stable um so it's just not rotating too fast because this moon is pulling on it you know and of course the tides and everything has to do with that um there's some you know some people think that the moon is what created the tilt in the axis um, what if it's from a collision that happened, you know, right? Yeah, that creates the tilt in the axis, which then creates seasonal changes on planet Earth, which, of course, you know, leads to different forms of life being able to exist. And, mm. and it's just so like all these things come from the moon, but they're saying that he's gonna, he's gonna give us this idea that the moon likely was sort of brought into the inner sphere of the solar system by Jupiter. Because Jupiter is, is a big, huge, you know, mm-hmm. massive planet that slings stuff into the in, yeah, inner part the, of it. Uh, gravity to yeah reach right. So he's just kind of linking all this stuff and saying, you know, planets um, and the way that they interact and the particular ways that they function have have led everything to sort of spin in this particular direction that has allowed life to happen on planet mm-hmm. Earth. So that's kind of the you know that's kind of his. Um, the way that he's um, approaching the whole subject. Okay. Um, and so uh, he talks about a possible way that uh, the moon was created. He's, he writes this, our moon was generated by a very severe impact mm-hmm. that scooped up part of the Earth's crust and placed it into orbit. 
There it absorbed energy from the tides on Earth and settled into an orbital distance that, strangely enough, allowed it to exactly eclipse the sun, right? Hmm. That's just one of those interesting things about the moon (laughs) is that in our sky, it's exactly, the disk of it is exactly the same size as the sun. Um, You know, meaning that proportionally speaking, you know, distance to size, um, you know, that proportion comes out to where they look exactly the same in the sky. Yeah. Right. So it's like, that's, that's a weird thing, you know, just good thing. They're not uh, the other way around or or we would be uh, mercury. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or worse. Yeah. Mercury also doesn't show up in, in, uh, in here at all. So yeah, nobody really talks about mercury. Except for all those um, Alan Jackson songs about Mercury's. Yeah, I think there's just the one, isn't there? Or does he have multiple ones? I don't know. It seems like there's multiple, but maybe it's just the... It's just because he says Mercury so many times in that song. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, he has this interesting quote at the end of the, the first chapter that I want to share with you. Um, the numbers of the Matrix, so he's talking about as he develops this idea of you know, sort of these, these, he starts off with sort of numerological relationships, which really are all just ratios. You know, how mm-hmm. does, how does one number compare to another? And this one, it's like, how many times does something rotate or, right. you know, or spin or go around the sun in relation to something else? And he's going to find connections through all that. So that's what he keeps, he'll keep referring to the the matrix. Right. That's what he's talking about. So the numbers of the matrix, which appear as time, fit with traditional forms of wisdom in which the creation sprang from the mind of God. This is the realm of pure interrelationships, of the pure interrelationships of mathematics. So, right, mathematics is all about how things relate to one another, right? It's um, a, a single number by itself is just a symbol, right? But it's representing uh, a comparison to something, in order to have the number two, you have to have the number one to say that there's two of this thing, mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to one of it, right? So it's it's a comparison. This is two is double one, right? Right. Um, and three is you know double one plus another one, right? And mm-hmm. so like those are ways that that's what you're actually saying, but we just know three is just a way easier way to think of that than saying you know you have double that and then another one of that right um so you don't want to start talking like that (laughs) i actually want to try yeah it's doing that with larger numbers you know it's like 17 is going to be really with your age (laughs) (laughs) you can tell by the gray in my beard (laughs) how many years i have um but uh, he, so he talks about um, that that in this uh, the pure interrelationships of mathematics is where we see um, an actual wisdom, which he's claiming is coming from the mind of God. Um, he's not, as far as I can tell in this book, I haven't gotten all the way through the last bit of it. But he's not linking this to any particular tradition and saying you know uh, he's pushing for a particular religious understanding of of a particular interpretation of God. He, but he does use the word God quite frequently um, with a capital G. So that that's, you know, just something to, to note. Um, all right. So then he gets into um, the, the term synod, 
um, which I thought was neat because uh, you and I know the word synod mm-hmm. <laughs> from our denomination. And I never really understood what it meant. I just thought it was what you called a group of people because <laughs> that's what, you know, that's kind of the way we do it with church. Uh-huh. Um, but we have the regional synod and we have the general synod. Um, and, uh, but the, the term synod is actually referring to uh, annual or yearly, um, something that takes, you know, happens every year or one year. Yeah, synodical. Yep. Yeah. So well, he's going to talk about, um, the the synodical periods or synodic periods of um, of plants and stuff or planets and stuff. So it's like it, that's how when they go around, you know, one trip around the sun is one synod. Mm-hmm. So a synodical period of any celestial body can be measured in Earth days or right. Earth years, right? Yeah. So you can measure it in the Earth synodical period. So you can compare this synodical period right. to that. Like synodical Mercury period. is what like seventy three. One year is like 73 Earth days or something like that. Yeah. 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 And so you can start comparing this stuff. Pretty you know? sure that number is like spot on. You get, you nailed it. You nailed yeah. it. And we didn't even Google it. And I'm, not, I'm afraid to Google it so that our computer doesn't <laughs> uh, fritz out again. Um, but he talks about uh, synods. And then he what he talks about is this idea of a conjunction. And a conjunction is any time that um, synodical periods line up. Right. So like what we, you know, what we found is that the synodical period of comparing Earth and Saturn, right, is the uh, it's twenty eight um, cycles of twenty eight loops of Saturn uh, fit into twenty nine uh, Earth years, right? Which is why on the twenty ninth year you see Saturn back in the same place, completing mm-hmm. its twenty eighth loop, right? So that's where the conjunction happens, right? Yeah. Every twenty nine Earth years, there's a conjunction with Saturn. You know, which is kind of a cool thing. Like you hear this stuff like sometimes on the radio, or it's just like on, you know, it'll pop up in a news feed. It's like, oh, conjunction, conjunction is happening, and you know, <laughs> just kind of like ah, ah, this is nerdy science stuff or whatever, you know. But <laughs> but it really is kind of a neat idea that you know this stuff actually does come together yeah. um, in observable time periods, right? So everything everything's longer than a year in a lot of these things, but they're not too long that a civilization can't figure them out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right? Because um, if they were if they were super long, then you wouldn't necessarily be able to tell if if this is just static, you know, or if it's changing and we just, it's changing so slowly that it looks static. Right. Right. But anyway, um, so he talks about uh, some synods um, that are conjunctions being more common than others, such as, something that you already mentioned tonight, the adjacency of the morning or evening star, which is Venus, um, to the crescent moon. Um, and so you can see the star and the crescent. Um, uh, the the star he's referring to is Venus. Evening and morning, morning star. Yeah, because it happens, you can see it both, you know, um, just after sunset and just before dawn. Yeah. Uh, when it's, you know, when it's visible. And it's almost always around the, uh, yeah, the star and crescent are always observed around sunrise or sunset. And he's got his neat little illustration. Um, it's the horns of Venus. And I'll show you. And uh, you can see it actually, it's this one down here. It actually looks like horns because of the way that the, mm-hmm. the way that Venus comes out of the night sky and loops. It actually comes out and loops around. Um, oh, it's like the trajectory of Venus. Yeah. Yep. And it makes, if you, you know, draw it out on 
like on the horizon, yeah. you know, on the east on one side or the west on the other, it actually makes like a, two horns. It looks like two horns kind of coming off of the horizon. Mm. And it goes up and it loops around the moon. Um, and so this is a common conjunction and it happens regularly enough. So, you know, what you noticed, and I saw it last night too. Yeah. While I was reading about this, I was like, okay. I was like oh, cool. <laughs> it's there, you know. I had read this in the morning when the, you know, when the sun was up, you couldn't see this stuff. And then, you know, I got home in the dark and there it was. Right. So, um, so that's a, that's a conjunction, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I will note, uh, I was off by like 15 with mercury. Oh, did you look it up? It's 88. Yeah. Okay. So. That's That's pretty close. Pretty close. That's pretty close. Yeah. That's a good percentage. Yeah. Um, All right. So, uh, so he talks about this, this um, coming together of the number 28 that we get from Saturn. Mm -hmm. Right. And then uh, the number four for the four um, uh, points on the earth orbit Mm -hmm. that we discussed already. Right. Um, So listen, listen to this. Uh, The number 28 multiplies the four cardinal points of the calendar the winter and summer solstice and the spring and autumn equinox by the sacred number seven the number seven is construed as virginal in that it does not give birth although it can be found in the creation it represents something that existed before the world was created a divine process that is echoed in the existence of seven notes in the musical scale which we'll get to in um, a later episode. Uh, so put simply, seven is the divine concept of process beyond or before creation, and therefore is the first component represented in the creation of time. And uh, oddly enough, uh, that's how many days there are in a week, right? Yeah. So seven days in a week. And he'll actually talk about the days of the week and, um, I'm not going to get into that a lot, but he does, he does talk about it. People can get the book and, and I'm not going to cover the whole thing, but, um, so uh, what he's saying there is this is kind of the first hint at the matrix that there's this, there's this number that, uh, exists prior to everything. Um, you know, that it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't create, uh, you know, something new like the, you know, the three, from the moon and the four from the earth and the 28 from Saturn, right? They're all connected. But this, the seven is like that, mm-hmm. you know, that interconnecting thing that exists in some way in all of those. Right. Um, and I've always been fascinated by the number seven just because of mostly because of music, you know, in, in studying music myself and in teaching music, you know, it's like this idea of seven, there's only seven notes, you know, in a scale. Yeah. Um, but there's 12 uh, notes altogether uh, in our musical scale and in a single octave, right? The octaves yeah. repeat, but in a single octave, there's 12 total notes, but only seven of them are operational in any, you know, in, in a given normal key right. at, at a time, right? So there's seven, seven, that, are, <laughs> seven that are being used uh, and then five that aren't, right? And really, it's like almost eight, but that one is a repetition because it's the top note of the scale. Yeah. You know? Um, so there's this like seven to five relationship, which is 12, right? So there's seven days in a week and 12 months in the year, you know? Mm-hmm. And then it's like that has always seemed to me to be too coincidental. Like why, why would music and our calendar have anything to do with each other, you know? Right, and then that's essentially that's really what this book is all about. Is like, 
you know, yes, you can, you can, you can sort of push back against all of what he's saying here. And I'm, I would welcome anybody to do so, but you can push back against what he's saying and saying, Oh yes, you fiddle with numbers enough. You can get them to say what you want, you know, mm-hmm. and you can make all these, you know, connections with all these numbers. But, uh, eventually when you start seeing similar things appearing over and over again, right. Mm-hmm. That there's, there's just, there's too much, uh, similarity. There's too much, uh, there's too much of a marker in, within things, right? So that's what he's describing about the number uh, seven. Um, and so that leads to the sort of the 28 loops uh, right? Yeah. of Saturn, Saturn. 28, yeah. Uh, so for Earth, you know, times the sacred number seven gives you Saturn, <laughs> right? Uh, all right, so then he's going to move along and... Um, yeah, there's there's just this cool, there's a really cool uh, diagram with uh, all the days of the weeks and where the names come from, and all, I just don't have time to get into all of that. Um, but then he's going to start talking about the golden mean. Do you know the golden mean, Jason? Have you ever heard of the golden mean? Mm, as far as space. Uh, it's it's really geometry. Oh, then no geometry or architecture or um, or uh, you could find it in classical like classical mathematics, Greek, you know the Greek mathematics, mm-hmm. you know like pi, right? The yep. old three point one four. But then there's you know it just like repeats a thousand, on. yeah. And I guess I was just listening to a podcast today. And they were talking about uh, they're still trying to figure out if there's any repeating sequences in pi. Like, you know, it's, they're still just finding more and more numbers at the end of it. It just keeps going. But but that's like, you know, sort of classical mathematics where, right. they, where they found some of these geometrical constants that, that happen. And they're just kind of like measures of the natural world, right? Well, one of them is what's, what's called the golden mean. Um, which in the Greek, it's not pi, it's phi, uh, P-H-I, right? And you maybe have seen the symbol for it. It's a little circle with a vertical line going through it. Um, you know, the pi symbol is the like the double T with a little wavy top. Right. Is the symbol for pi in, in mathematics. But phi is another mathematical constant, they call it, right? And it's a little circle with a vertical line. And uh, phi is the the golden mean or the golden ratio, um, and it's an interesting it's interesting the way that it is um, the way that it is developed or the way that they sort of discovered it. Okay, um, and you could also refer to it as I, I believe this is correct the golden cut um, because it's essentially the way that you start you can divide things, um, and it's been referred to. And I think there's a quote in here actually. Um, that uh, about you know about this particular um, thing called the golden mean, but but anyway, uh, let me try to explain it. Let's see how I do. All right, <laughs> feel free to tell me that it makes no sense to you or that I should do it again. Because well. <laughs> so if you take uh, you have a line right, and it's a particular length mm-hmm. of the line, right? Okay. Now you want to cut it into two pieces. But you don't want to just cut it in half, okay? You want to cut it so that um, the ratio of the smaller piece 
to the larger piece is the same as the ratio of the larger piece to the whole line before you cut it, right? So what you're trying to do is create a, create a, a ratio relationship so that the ratio is the same, right? You can say, I want to cut this line in half, and now you're cutting it to equal lengths, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but the but now you've just divided something into two equal parts, right? Um, instead, with the golden mean, what you're doing is you're cutting, you know, one larger and one smaller, so that when you compare all three, the whole and then the two pieces, the ratio between the three of them will be the same. Okay, does that make sense to you? Yeah. Did I? Yeah. Okay. Because you could, I mean, you could really, you know, you could kind of do it with you know, just a, a piece of paper, you know, and a long strip. And you kind of, you could probably do it visually, you know, where you'd mm -hmm. be like, well, this looks like this one is, it, you know, this one is bigger by the same degree than this one, you know? Right. And it's not like, it's not twice the size, right? Because that wouldn't be the same ratio, right? It's not, it's not exponential, yeah. right? It's, there's, there's something else there in that relationship. Um, so it turns out that this number, phi, is uh, 1.618, right? So um, the, 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 the larger piece is always going to be 0.618 bigger than the other one, right? So if the first, the small piece is one, then the next one is going to be 1.618. Uh, and then the, the biggest one, the whole piece, would be um, 1.618 times 1.618, right? Uh, so it's not... You see why it's not exponential? Because exponential, you just multiply everything by two, mm -hmm. right? And that just makes it bigger. But that that results in exponential growth, right? Which we know is only sustainable in things to a degree, right? You can't continue exponential growth until because until infinity, because the numbers just get so big that it's right. it's impractical in a physical realm, right? But this is not impractical in a physical realm, and you have already talked about this because. It's the same ratio that appears in the Fibonacci sequence. Okay, so I don't know if you were thinking about that when I was describing this, but that's, that's what makes the Fibonacci sequence what it is. Now, it's not exact at first, but mm -hmm. the cool part is, is when you start um, applying this phi relationship to the numbers in the Fibonacci sequence, the farther you get into the sequence, the more accurate this 1.618 number becomes. Right. So think about that for a second. Like, we know that the first two numbers in the Fibonacci sequence are one and one. Yeah. Right. So obviously there's no ratio there, or there's you know zero if you start with zero and one and then another one. But even that, that's a hundred percent. You know, that's yeah. you know from nothing comes something. When you go one to two, that's um, you know that's times multiplying by two. But then the next number after that is three. Right. So two to three is a little closer to a 1.618 relationship. Right? Then the next number is five, three to five. Now that's 1.6. So you're getting closer, right? Now the next number after five would be eight. When you go to eight, that's even closer. There's a few more decimals in there and it's getting closer to that 1.618. So the farther you go into the Fibonacci sequence, mm -hmm. the more phi becomes a perfect uh, relationship, okay. which is, which is really cool. So, so phi is called the golden mean or the golden ratio or the golden cut, because what it does is provide you with the most aesthetically pleasing thing, 
you know, the most pleasing to the eye. That's why I was asking Lila about that. Because we see it in nature. You talked about in your episode how the Fibonacci sequence is all throughout the natural world right. in, in everything. So these things that we call beautiful, you know, you look at them and there's this golden ratio is a part of all of it. Yeah. Everything's 1.618 bigger than the other thing, you know, uh, or 0. 0.618 bigger than the other thing, you know, was, um, so it's an interesting number in that way. Uh, and so what he's going to do in the book is he's going to show us how that number actually, you know, not, is not, um, it's not restricted just to planet earth and natural things like the way that plants grow and the way that seashells are formed. Right. Um, or even human bodies, human bodies have the, the fee ratio and all the time. And they actually, they say, you know, they've done studies where, you know, they look at people who have more pleasing, you know, appearances and it's because, you know, they have a more, a more perfect representation of the 0.618, you know, in their, just in their physical structure, the way that they look. Right. Um, so, yeah. So anyway, uh, neat thing about um, this fee relationship is it he's going to show it it takes place right in between earth and venus um, that there's a there's a fee relationship here um, so uh, in eight earth years there are five venus loops or standstills against the background of the stars so that means that um, that retrograde loop that saturn makes mm -hmm. when it turns direction in the sky yeah there's pretty much exactly five of those in eight Earth years. So if you look at Venus in the sky over eight years, you're going to see it loop five times. Well, we know that eight to five is a Fibonacci relationship, yeah. right? Which, man, it's a 1.6. Um, so it's, uh, he says it's, it's within two hours over the course of eight years, nine um, point, oh yeah, um, two hours it's within two hours over those eight years of accuracy that venus hits the spot in the sky right so that's a very clear so you um, mean like uh, you go out september 2nd yeah eight years apart yep and within the same two minutes what do you say yeah within two minutes of that same time it's or two hours within two, two hours, hours of that same time venus will be in exactly the same spot in the sky Right. Eight years. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you go and, you know, for eight years, you go out on the same day and look at Venus and you hope that on that eighth year, it's not cloudy. Because <laughs> you're yeah, right. like, no, I got to wait another I eight gotta years. I got to get my car. <laughs> Find a place without clouds. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, but that's, I mean, so, and that's, that's a direct um, fee relationship. You know, it's not as clean because it's just 1.6. It's not the 1.618 that fee is. Um and there's actually a few more numbers after that in fee as well, right. just like pi has extra yeah. numbers. But, but it's not it's not perfect, but it's really really darn close. Um, so he talks about that with um, with Venus, and um, and there's there's more that he gets into with Venus. Um, and so then the the only the last thing that I wanted to talk about tonight was um, was to get into uh, the connection between. Jupiter and the moon mm -hmm. um, because we, we talked about that he's he sort of he sort of tracks things you know that um, things begin with Saturn uh, and and this goes to a lot of mythology stuff which we'll get into next 
next time that I'm presenting okay. to talk about mythology because he's going to look at a lot of these ancient myths and how they relate directly. Not only a lot of times you hear these myths and you think, okay, well, they're just, you know, they named these things in the sky, you know, and they've got a story that they're mm-hmm. trying to tell about, you know, yeah. or creation myth or whatever. And we're going to use the things in the sky to tell the story so we can remember them and pass them down, you know, but he's saying that it's actually deeper than that, that these ratio relationships that are happening actually have meaning, which is represented in the myth itself. Right, so we're going to look at that in the, in the second segment. Right, look, it's looking to me now like this is going to be three segments because I'm <laughs> totally nerding out on this. I said this was going to be two, but I guess it's going to be three. Stay safe and say four, maybe. Yeah, it could be. Who knows? Who knows? We're just going to keep going. Uh, but anyway, let me talk about Jupiter and, um, and the moon yeah. for a minute. Now, let me see if I can make this make sense to you because it, it took a minute for this to kind of sink in for me. Okay. Um, so 25 of Jupiter's synodic periods, right? So that means 25 Jupiter years or 25 loops around the sun mm-hmm. for Jupiter, yeah. right? Um, equals 27.321 practical years, which is our 365 days, right? Now, it's not, it's not a synodical year, our practical year and our synodical year are slightly different because of the that extra, you know, we have a leap year right, every four years because yeah. <laughs> we're off by just a little bit. Um, but so our practical year is different than our um, than our synodical year by you know by a quarter of a day, roughly. Um, okay. So that that's why he uses the term practical year in this book. But anyway, Jupiter goes around twenty five times. And that takes, in our time, 27.321 years, okay? Now, um, the sidereal orbital period of the moon, right? So this is, this is how um, the moon orbits the uh, Earth, right? One uh, loop around the Earth for the moon is 27.321 days. Where did you hear that number before? It's 27.321 years that it takes Jupiter to go around 25 times. Yeah. 27.321. Like, that's really precise. <laughs> that 25 loops of Jupiter yeah. in, in Earth years is the same as one loop of the moon in Earth days. Like, that. What are I the mean, odds? <laughs> yes, it's like it's mind-boggling, yeah. right? Now he had to go to twenty-five loops of Jupiter to get that number, but even still, to get to twenty-seven point three two one is like phenomenal. Yeah. If it was like, oh, this one's twenty-seven and this one's twenty-six and a half or something, right? Be like, all right, well, you're just fudging the numbers now. But this is like a direct and very clear relationship between between the two. Yeah, and he will later talk about this. You know, because he's going to set this up, and we'll talk about this next time. But he, he gets into this idea that a lot of these myths have to do with Jupiter um, being a creative force, right? Um, and that that Jupiter spilled forth different things into our solar system, which you know an astrophysicist would tell you is is true. <laughs> you know that yeah. a lot of the way that the you know the, the inner planets of our solar system interact with one another is because of either what Jupiter has done in the past or what it's doing now with its gravitational field. You yeah. know, that it's that it really is a creative force in our um 
So it's not just it's not just myth, you know. It's not just right. that's kind of what he's saying. Is it's not just these these myths and these these um, these ancient stories that are carried down aren't just you know for us to understand a place in the universe. There's actual real ratio mathematical language mm-hmm. behind it that can be you know sort of written out and, and displayed. Um. So <laughs> there's another interesting thing. And again, this, um, this one takes a little bit of uh, figuring. So let me, I, I think I did an okay job describing that, you know, right? Did that make sense to you? Yeah. Or about oh, definitely. Jupiter? Okay. Yeah. So the, the other interesting thing here is um, this, uh, there's, a, there's another number. He talks about, he's got this neat thing called the, uh, the chronon. Um, which I'm not going to talk about, but get the get the book and uh, and read it because um, it's it's fascinating. Um, but what he what he's going to talk about here is this um, idea of uh, of uh, three oh nine. Okay, all right. So let me see if I can get this right here. Um, so. Yeah, so we connect um if we compare the lunation periods of of the moon um he gets this uh he gets this number of uh there's 309 lunation periods per 25 uh loops of Jupiter. Okay? So if you look at the lunation periods and that's the that's the uh new moon to new moon right Mm -hmm. so if you if you count those in that same uh 25 loops of jupiter that you were counting the orbits of the moon yeah you get a different number now that is 309 right um so there's this other relationship when you compare years to days that i just described but now if you actually compare how many lunation cycles happen in a 25 year 25 jupiter years you get 309. Now you say, why is 309 important? What does that have to do with anything? Well, 309 is exactly half of 618. And 618 is the the sort of meaty part of the fee number, right? Because yeah. it's 1.618, right? But the, the actual meaty part is that 618, where you multiply something by one plus the, you know, 618, 0.618, yeah. right? So if you... Obviously, if you multiply that 0.618 by 100, you get 618, and if you cut it in half, you get 309, right? So, yeah. so now the the way that the moon is appearing to us from our planet, as far as new moon versus full moon versus new moon, the way that that's appearing is directly related in a, another fee relationship to the planet Jupiter, hmm. right? Wow. So it's almost as if. What he's saying is it's almost as if the uh, from Earth, our view of the night sky looking at the moon is like pointing us to Jupiter. It's like it's like yeah. screaming, hey, Jupiter, 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 you know, just by the way that these these different things that you look about you because what he just compared were two totally different things. You know, the way that the moon goes around the Earth, mm-hmm. he compared with. 25 years of Jupiter. And then the way that we see new moon versus full moon, which is different than the orbital cycle, right? Because we're also going around the sun, so it's different slightly, right? right? He compared that to the 25 
uh, Jupiter years and again, found another parallel, right? Mm-hmm. So there's like all these connections that are happening between um, the Earth and, and the Moon. He also gets into this thing called the the golden year, which is really cool. Um, which is, you know, if you take our year and you multiply by 1.618, there's other connections there as well okay. um, to that and, and to Venus. Uh, I'm not going to get into that right now. But this is all going to lead us to um, this quote that I want to read from uh, from the book. And uh, and then I'm going to close with one, one other small thing. And then I'll let you uh, have the floor. <laughs> um, consider Arthur C. Clarke's 2001 A Space Odyssey where primates encounter a mathematically constructed monolith. This encounter triggers an evolutionary process that leads to the use of tools and technologies that enable the discovery of a similar monolith on the moon. This, in turn, triggers a powerful transmission to an object orbiting Jupiter. (laughs) There, another monolith is found that is the connection to a great secret, the Stargate. Could the monolith and the stargate symbolize the golden mean and the numerical understanding of the planetary system to open our eyes to the cosmos in a new way? So he, you know, he brings something out of sort of popular culture, you know, the 2001 A Space Odyssey, Mm -hmm. and finds this parallel here in that story and that that could be symbolizing, you know, this, this traverse to... You know, viewing the moon um, and what we know about it, right? And then going there, right? And and then from that, it leading us onward um, yeah. out into, you know, something something greater that they, in this case, they find something orbiting Jupiter. And they um, he actually talks about one of Jupiter's moons too, which is pretty cool, um, which I also won't get into that. But um, so it's this idea that... Uh, you know, in this in this story by Arthur C. Clarke, it was a monolith that was found, right? And then they found another monolith, and then that took them to another place where they found another monolith, and then from there they were able to find the secret, which is the Stargate, and they were able to, right. you know, connect, right? So what if, you know, what if that's real for us, but it's this golden mean, you know, sort of connecting us? Because if you're finding this all the way through our solar system, where else in the universe might it be? Right? Might we be able to predict what greater systems look like by understanding this golden mean? And he actually talks about that. Spiral arms and galaxies. A spiral arm is actually a Fibonacci sequence, which Mm -hmm. is a golden mean. Right? If you can, you can use the Fibonacci sequence to create a beautiful, perfect spiral. Right. Um, And as you see in nature, actually, when you see seashells and stuff, it's like it's there. Mm -hmm. You know. and uh, and it's in the galaxies too. You know? Oh yeah, for sure. It's just fantastic stuff. So uh, I'm going to close with a um, with a quote. Um, yes. Uh, all right. The etymology of the word moon runs deep and includes concepts of measure, suggesting the measure that was passed to Jupiter by Saturn. That measure, the golden golden mean, has been built into Earth's celestial view with an accuracy of 99.9945%. Uh, so this is, you know, he, he's finding these golden means accurate to that degree. That you could, could find it all the way down to, the, to four decimal places after 99, you know. 
99.9945. That's how accurate the golden mean is when you look at Jupiter, Saturn, the moon, and Earth. Um, Jupiter's work uh, relates to the sidereal rotation of Earth, the tropical day, the practical year, the orbital motion of the moon, and the combined motion of the sun and the moon in the lunar month. Current cosmological orthodoxy suggests that these things should not be connected numerically in this way and are therefore displaying an inherent level of order in the cosmos. This fact directs us back to Earth and the unique life and biosphere that exists here. So, it's way more ordered than it should be. <laughs> this is essentially what he said there at the end. It's like, th this stuff all connects in, in ways that shouldn't if this was just random. And if, yeah. if, it, if it's all just based on, there was all this motion, you know, as things were coming together. And, um, you know, the, it, things just sort of slid into their spots in orbit around the sun where, you know, they, their speed, you know, and mass told them to go. Right. It's, it's more than that. There's, there's definitely an order to it. Um, and the interesting part that I, and this is just something that I've noticed myself, and then I'll get out of here and let you do your thing. But the interesting part that I've noticed is that this, uh, just like the Fibonacci sequence and the, the fee relationship therein, as, as you go further into it, it actually becomes more perfect. Right. And, and, that's something that that you notice when you look at something. You know, if you see a if you see a seashell that's in a spiral shape, um, but it's large, so there's a lot of it there mm -hmm. to the spiral. It's like strikingly beautiful right. that something could come out of nature like that, right? Um, whereas if you see just a small one that's just in the stages of formation, it doesn't quite look as perfect, right? It's almost as though as Time, if we look at the Fibonacci sequence and the fee relationship there as a flow of time, it's almost as though as time goes on, you get more order and yeah. less chaos, which is different than, you know, the understanding that I've always had where it's like everything's moving towards more chaos, right? But it's like almost like we're moving yeah. away from chaos into more and more perfect order. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> which is a really cool thing. Which for me as, you know, somebody who has, has faith, you know, and, you know, preaches about things like hope, right? I actually kind of really like that idea mm -hmm. because that's kind of what I preach, that we sh should have hope and we should have faith because, you know, it's all going to be okay. And if, and if we can actually see through mathematics and ratio that things as they go farther and farther and deeper into their creation mm -hmm. become more perfect, well, great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right? That sounds like what that sounds like what I've been preaching, you know, all this time. So, yeah. Huh. Huh. There you go. That's the first first third of our delve into the matrix of creation by Richard Heath. Absolutely fascinating right. stuff to me. I mean, I I like it's a short book. It's like if you if you just take the pages that are in the chapters, leave out the yeah. There are a lot of pictures in there too. There's lots. Of, I mean, yeah. There's lots of pictures. It's a fast read, but you shouldn't read it fast. You got to slow down and be like, wait a second, what? 
math am I looking at right now? Yeah. Because he's just like whipping these numbers around. Like that 309, when that came up, I was like, what, is the, what does that have to do with anything? You know? Why mm-hmm. do we got a 309 here? You know, like, I thought we were like 1.168. Oh, buddy. <laughs> yeah. And it's got seven in there, right? Uh-huh. And then, you know, the first and last numbers in that first section are eight and five. Yep. Right. Fibonacci numbers. All right. Uh, I'm going to stop talking now because I've been rambling a lot. Um, this is our weird uh, first and second segment. This is the shortest first and sec- second segment we've ever done. It, it recorded? It's, well, it looks like it did. <laughs> we'll see when I stop it and try to do something with it if it actually works or not. <laughs> All right. We're going to take a uh, take a short break and we're going to come back and uh, let Jason do some math live on the podcast. He loves live math. Uh, Thanks for listening. We'll be right back here on the Music of the Spheres podcast. This is the uh, the classic music of the spheres, Beavis and Butthead break entrance. Uh, <laughs> we just giggle. It's like a cold open, although we've already had <laughs> yeah, most okay. of the podcast, most of the show is over. Yeah, it was. So it can't really be a cold open, but it was a f- ice cold, frozen open. <laughs> yeah, an open lost in time. Yeah, and space. Yeah, those words, like I don't know, were they ever said? Are they in the Akashic record somewhere? Perhaps. Akashic record, I guess. Akashic or uh, Akashic. <laughs> are they in are they in there, I wonder? I don't know. Yeah. What happened? I don't know. What's the uh um you know, in in space where things like the not the void. That's all that's the only word I can think of. The ether? The the vacuum. The vacuum of space. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Maybe that's where the first part of this Yeah. <laughs> podcast well, is yeah i mean based on the based on the episode that we did on the akashic record it still exists just nowhere that anyone can retrieve it yeah. <laughs> at least I, I at least without like you know 40 years of practicing how to meditate right you know maybe then i can get it back <laughs> your macbook pro knows where it is but yes. it's not telling yeah. 
<laughs> Even computers want to have secrets. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we were giggling because uh, you're you're saying Lila's not going to be too happy knowing that her her part is is gone into the into, into the unknown. into the akasha. <laughs> Sorry, Lila, uh, your segment is in the akasha. Yeah. Now. <laughs> That's kind of maybe that's comforting though, because those words are out there. Yes, somewhere. Maybe I mean they didn't. Um, maybe I'm remembering this from like a show or something. But didn't they send sort of like maybe it was Star Trek? They sent <laughs> they sent um, like things about Earth out just in case there was life elsewhere. Yeah. Well, we we did. It's on here. It's on the we did. We actually chart did that. of cosmic I, I exploration. Thought that was like a real thing, but that it, wasn't just a it. It is a real thing, and yeah, that's yeah. what the first. That was the first Star Trek movie was about. That first contact. No, the original series first movie. Oh, yeah, man. Star Trek. I think is what it was called. <laughs> the motion picture. The motion picture. That's right. Yeah, yes, I, the okay, motion picture. I'm yeah, with you. That was yeah. the first one, and it was all about. Um, you know, they're they're out exploring space in this like giant thing. Up appears you know it's this like massive spaceship thingy you know and they so big that they fly their own spaceship into it and as they're flying deeper and deeper in it's like all these it was just a a way for them to practice special effects that they would you know probably use in later movies but it was like the practice run it was like your internship (laughs) it was like it was like an internship movie how did it go for star trek it was terrible everybody hated it (laughs) because Because it was really just a whole bunch of shots of William Shatner trying to look amazed in the captain's chair. Because nothing happens for like half an hour in the movie. Oh. They're just flying deeper and deeper into this giant spaceship thing, you know? So they get to the spot and like a door opens. They oh. get to the spot and another room opens. And it's like... It's like the space version of yeah. Jonah and the whale. Right. Because what happens is when they get there, they realize that what is at the center of this giant spaceship thing that has approached the solar system is the Voyager that was sent out in our time. The Voyager spaceship was sent out was, was like the 70s or 80s? Yeah, you've or got, the, like you've got the chart of cosmic exploration. Well, on there. Everything's it's very small. Very small. Because it's so detailed. I don't have my glasses on. Yeah, but uh, the Voyager 1 is on there, and on the Voyager um, probes that they sent out, there's actual information about you know yeah. humanity. It's I like think Marvin he- Gaye playing guitar and stuff (laughs) yeah yeah i think it's uh, actually they got vanilla ice on there i think actually yeah this is the best of what we have to offer (laughs) yeah so um no but they set it out and so the whole the whole movie is based on like some other you know some sort of like ai intelligence finds this you know and the whole idea is to return back to earth so it finds it and it builds up all this technology around it and then flies this massive gigantic thing back to earth to make contact with us. That's yeah. that's what it was about. Huh. I'm not sure how we got on that topic now. I've forgotten, but we started talking about Star Trek. I got to go. I got to go there. Oh yeah, I don't know how we got here either. <laughs> <laughs> Where we're going, we don't need roads <laughs> or a plan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um but I I thought of uh, I guess the things that popped into my head were sort of like um, how how space comes about in pop culture, right? I mean, not necessarily pop culture. Um, the I, I've recently been listening to 
this podcast about the well it's called 13 minutes to the moon right okay um which Corey was talking about on mother's day right i'm um, sorry yeah. started, started yeah, listening yeah. to it and season two is all about apollo 13 mm-hmm. um and of course uh when they're doing the um coasting to the moon which in and of itself is just like a crazy thing for me to <laughs> think yeah. about they're just yeah. like out in space like coasting Yep, directly to where they need to go. Yeah, because of a window that they knew they had mm-hmm. when they launched their their spacecraft on Earth. They're like, we need to do it within this time frame. So the you know, so the rocket and the ship gets on this trajectory. Right. <laughs> right. That that like that starting point in right. and of itself is pretty yeah. amazing. Yeah, it it really. Wh- like it's it's a cool thing because it's less like it's less like flying and and more like jumping, right? Yeah. It's like it's jumping off of this body, you know. Which of course you need all that energy to get out of the gravitational field. But if you do it at the right time, you essentially just shoot yourself into the gravity of the moon, and then the moon pulls you in. Yeah. So you're really just falling. So you right. jump off of this moving thing and fall down onto another moving thing. Is really what's happening. Yeah. It's cool to think about it that way, though. And and so, um, I mean, thinking about, like, the math uh, of what, of, like, the design of space, and then sort of, like, the math of of humans, like, interacting with the math of space is kind of what I started thinking about. Yeah. Because they had, obviously, in Apollo 13, had the, um, just try to stir the oxygen tanks. There was something, they had dropped them, actually. When they were <laughs> lesson learned, um, don't drop your oxygen yeah, tanks. Yeah, don't drop it. Um, and something short and big, big explosion. Um, and in the podcast, it was kind of saying how that actually happened at the perfect time because um, they were like close enough to the moon to use it for that uh, free return trajectory. Yep. But they were not in. Um, you know, they had not taken the lamb down to the moon and so they weren't separated right the two different ships yep um and if that happened it would have been over because they ended up using the right the lunar module right to uh as like a lifeboat the lifeboat the lamb lifeboat Um, yeah and if it happened way earlier in the like this was a couple days in if it happened earlier in the mission they would have um, they probably would have still, because they were still headed toward the moon, but it, they would have been like two days behind. Mm-hmm. And the, the electrical systems that were like just barely holding on right. would have given out and they probably would have not made it back. Right. So um, that just, I guess, alone, like that they could use wherever they were in that time frame, in that space. Yeah. Um, they could use the free return trajectory which is also super cool using the the gravitational pull of the moon to sort of like fling themselves back toward yeah. earth is a really cool idea too right um which i i mean whoever like figures these things out is yeah like and that's what's so cool about what you were talking about is um people people finding the planets um you know ancestors long ago finding them wobbling 
right kind of in space yeah. and they're like the that's, wanderers that's yeah. a little weird isn't yeah. it and so people have studied them and right. take you know take 28 years to figure out what saturn is is doing yeah what's going on with what's going on with this star it, which is so cool cuz they all thought i mean originally you know unless unless they had information or knowledge that we are unaware of and he actually gets into that here and i'll sort of foreshadow uh next week a little bit is this idea of um of ancient wisdom and uh i've i've heard about ancient wisdom you know a lot with different you know, different podcasts that I listen to or different mm-hmm. um, different things that I sort of look into on my own. Um, this idea of like ancient wisdom and, and people get sort of getting into, you know, oh, well, the ancients had these things figured out. And, you know, sometimes you look at it, it's like, are, are we just sort of looking romantically back at, at that? You know, we, we've got ourselves into our own, you know, sort of human struggles now. Right. Yeah. So do we just sort of look back at the ancients and say, oh, boy, they were they all had to figure it out. And, and you realize, oh, well, probably not. You know, they they had all kinds of problems too. <laughs> all these ancient cultures and civilizations. But he makes the point that based on the context in which you live, certain wisdom that is a part of sort of all of humanity, certain wisdom is more valuable than other wisdom, you know, like. Like for us now, in our current culture, you know, um, being able to, you know, kill your food so that you can eat is not a is not a wisdom that is needed by as many people, right? There's still there's still our fantastic hunters among the human race now, right? That are really good at what they do, but for the most part, we're domesticated to the point where we don't need to hunt our food anymore, yeah. you know. Um, so that the wisdom that goes along with that is is sort of dormant, mm-hmm. right? Is his his idea right? It's like dormant wisdom. It's not gone, and it's it, and it's not that it couldn't return, right? But it's just sort of uh, atrophied, maybe you mm-hmm. know. And uh, and so I, I think about that, he, and he's going to go into that this idea that there's this ancient wisdom that these people had um, that we don't necessarily tap into as much now right yeah so it just which which is neat because maybe we can get get some of it back maybe there is more to know to know about our cosmos and our world than you know than we actually think there is there's more to us than uh you know if we are if we were like hunters we don't have to just live that out in the chip aisle as we like a, you know, <laughs> yes. attack yeah. a Doritos bag or, and throw it in our shopping cart. Well, there are sometimes though, you know, like when you're really famished and you just blast into that bag, you know, <laughs> you're like you you feel like you're throwing a spear for just a minute. Yeah, right. you know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, hunger is a great motivator. Um, I, I was also I don't know if you've ever read The Martian. No. I no. No. Okay. Or listen to the audiobook. Nope. Um, which you should. Okay. Because you like Star Trek The Next Generation, right? Yeah. Um, uh, Wesley. Yeah. Right? Wesley Crusher? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Will Wheaton. Will. Will. Will Wheaton. Will Wheaton. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he narrates. He's, he reads The Martian. Oh, he reads the book. Does the audiobook. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I've heard this before. Either from you or from our friend Heath. Okay. Probably from me. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Um, 
but part of uh part of that main character's whole thing and why he's i mean i guess spoiler alert like able to survive on mars is because of math yeah because of like science Mm -hmm. it's not like anything like it's not his brute strength it's not like i don't know any charm he's gives like the nothingness to mars right it's like (laughs) i'm going to math and science the crap out of this yeah to figure out a way to survive and yeah and get home um and so like his it's really impressive just like i guess like the author's knowledge of the math Mm -hmm. of how things work yeah in space and how they might you know how it might it was kind of like sort of thinking about how this would work on Mars right. kind of thing. Um, project out, I guess. Yeah. Um, but it, I mean, it sort of paints the picture of how how interconnected the the design that, like, that you were talking about um, is with um, not only, like, the the larger bodies like in space like the planets just sort of floating around but like as you get onto the surfaces of them like right. those yeah. that that same science that same math is sort of happening on the on it, it's from the very smallest level to to like the big planetary level as well so yeah I, <clears throat> I guess I I just was um r- reminded of of uh well how little i know about math and how quickly i would die <laughs> uh, you don't stand a chance on mars yeah, buddy yeah like where's my bag of, where's my bag of chips <laughs> you gotta have a bag of doritos <laughs> i could maybe put duct tape on my leaking uh you know spacesuit, right because i could use duct tape but yeah once i once i figured that out i'm like uh yeah, and you can make it really uh, look good on your suit if you use the fee golden mean ratio, you know. Yeah. Like, well, this piece is going to be one point six one eight units long, <laughs> next to this piece that's just one. <laughs> Wait, I'm dead already. I took too long trying to <laughs> trying to get the fee right. <laughs> Feed this one all up. Uh. But yeah, I mean, there's um. Yeah, there's a whole, uh, a whole bunch of like uh, Bill Nye did this uh, documentary series where he would like travel and like walk on the different planets and like talk about Venus, right, and mm-hmm. um, talk about Jupiter's gravitational pull, right, uh, and its power within the solar system, and um, yeah, I mean it. And these things are out there, but they're also like, I feel like they're happening around us, Mm -hmm. like kind of on a daily basis. I mean, obviously with like the moon and the sun and day and night, that like simple sort of stuff. Um, But also just like, I I feel like the, uh, the, the way we're sort of programmed to... I think at least when we like stop and think about it, kind of be able to understand that we're there's something like so grand happening. Like when yeah. we look at the night sky, I think we 
we have that sense of awe, right? Yeah. That we can't quite explain because it's a lot of, you know, complicated math. Right. Really. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's like, I think we're sort of programmed to um, let it envelop us. We just don't really anymore. Right. Well, he, he even started, he starts the whole book off with that idea that the human mind is naturally, you know, there, there's a natural element to the human existence where it seeks out an understanding of pattern and space and, mm-hmm. you know, the way things relate, you know, which then can be described mathematically, which I think that was that was another cool kind of just side note for me is, you know, this is, I think a book like this would be a great example for someone who doesn't like math of like why it's really useful and cool mm-hmm. and, and can help you because he, he, he does just enough of the math in here so that you know that it's, it's real, you know, sort of mathematical calculations. Yeah. But he really, he doesn't focus on that part. He focuses on, you know, look at what this describes. It's describing this relationship, you know, and then, and then it, like, it helps me as somebody who, you know, was, was capable enough with math, but never really, I never got into it and, and sort of enjoyed just the process of mathing, you know, (laughs) to have it explain something and describe something that was really that's what's important, you know, to me. And I think that's really the end result of, of what you're trying to do with mathematics is sort of explain, you know, relationships and stuff mm-hmm. like that, right? And so, um, but he talks about that at the beginning of the book that, yes, humans are kind of, like you said, hardwired to to look for this stuff, you know, to try to find, you know, I mean, just, just the way that we look at nature, you know, you're you're hardwired to see a, a pattern, to, you know, if you, yeah. and, and that, you know, that's useful if you're hunting again to go talk about that you know you oh this is this is a trail where you know where the game is going through you know i I better notice this line in the woods right but you're noticing a a line you know which really is a ratio it's a relationship of you know uh material that's different than the other material right and you can sort of quantify its difference and say this is different here and i can track this and follow it and now you can go hunting that mm-hmm. you know wild boar or whatever it is you want right. to eat you know yeah but it's so you're you're naturally trained you know at, or not even trained but just it, it's a natural element of being a human being to look for these things um and there is this sense of awe when you look at the night sky that that these bigger things are happening and I think the interesting thing that we'll see a little bit more in the next segment of this book, but you said, you know, that it's happening all around us. I think it was a phrase you just used. And what he's, the point that he's making is that Jupiter may be far away, right? right. And maybe something that looks, well, you can look at it in the sky, you can see it a lot of nights, but mm-hmm. it looks small, right? But its influence is not just like, ancient right it didn't just influence something you know billions of years ago when the solar system was coming into being right that it's influencing and impacting really our daily life you know like every day we're influenced by the moon 
obviously, because it has a gravitational pull on our planet. So it, mm-hmm. it influences us in tons of ways, not least of which is the tides, but that's what we always think about. But there's so many other ways that the moon influences our life on Earth. And that is influenced by Jupiter. <laughs> and and there's a connection, you know, between the way that they relate to one another. And just, you know, it's like it brings the cosmos kind of down to yeah. Earth a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's like we get connected into it. Um, it's not just something we lay out there and look at it and be like, ooh, that's amazing, <laughs> which it is. And mm-hmm. that is a perfectly valid, you know, way to experience the cosmos as well. But there's also way more of an impact. It's much closer than it looks. Yeah. That relationship that you're kind of describing is, I think, part of why I've always been, like, pretty fascinated with astronauts and, and like, mission control, I guess, you know, yeah. specifically, I guess, NASA, um, when they were doing the Apollo missions. Um, just because the... They had, they had like a um a respect for like the gravity it seemed like for uh, what they were doing both literally and figuratively yeah they right had a respect yeah. for the gravity <laughs> yeah yeah the many different ways gravity shows up <laughs> you must always respect the gravity as an astronaut um like I mean you kind of think of like the first astronauts as being like test pilots and like yeah it was like a lot of bravado and maverick you know sort of right yeah like top yeah. gun yeah like yeah yeah tom, Cru- <laughs> tom cruise going to space i mean i meant like the maverick persona not oh, sure. like yeah, the yeah. guy named maverick oh, okay, but yes gotcha. uh, he had that name for a reason right yeah <laughs> um but then in reality like i mean they were uh, a lot of them were pretty like nerdy math guys and and scientists and like had a real respect for like space and what and what they were doing, trying to explore the uh, kind of like the relationship between human and these, this vast celestial um, space that, yeah, you know, that ancestors have been trying to make sense of for right. generations. Um, and they finally had the technology to sort of like, sort of honor that spirit of like exploration. Um, and it shows up like I mean in Apollo thirteen, there's the simple um, a couple things like they had to do the math to like get the um, the right amount of amps so that they could like survive all the way back home, right? So right. there's just like you know we'll figure this out. There is the step by step procedure to like power up the command module. Right. After they had sort of shut it down. Um, yeah. And it took two and a half hours to read it back step by step, like back up to them in mm-hmm. the ship. Yeah. Um, and all all that procedure was like a uh, desire to like do the math, figure out the, yeah. figure out how everything works together. Then the last one was that the LEM and the command module were made by different companies. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's where you had like the trying to fit a square peg in a right. round hole, right? Right yeah. with the carbon, the, the filters, right? The carbon dioxide, yeah, the yeah, filters, yeah. yeah. Um, <coughs> and so they like figured out figured that out too, and and then the guys up in space like figured it out and trusted them, and yeah, um, 
all kind of, I think, grounded in that spirit of like, um, space is math and science, and yeah. we are people who understand the math and science, so we can like make this work, right? Make this crazy thing that we're doing, yeah. like blasting people off to go step on the moon, yeah. Uh, make it work. I don't know. It, it, I know it like costs a lot of money and it's kind of like <laughs> you know nowadays it feels sort of like yeah. silly to I don't know maybe it doesn't seem silly but it's like right. a lot of money to place on something yeah when there's a lot of like <laughs> you know poor people and then <laughs> yeah, right, people right. who don't have shelter and food and yeah. stuff um, <clears throat> but at the same time I think it's sort of like scratches that exploration itch right and that desire to sort of understand yeah beyond that that i think humans innately have right and i think i mean it it's even more um i think it's even more than just scratching an itch for exploration i don't think it's so much about you know exploring like let's just go see what we find mm -hmm. out there you know there's sort of that adventurer like explorer persona or mentality you know that that people will have or that's that's more about like just want to experience something new but you know to to do something like you know try to go into space and go to a new a, a new place that we've not been is is i think it's really more about um a deeper understanding of human identity you know and, and mm -hmm. who we are and what we are and where we are and you know all of that and 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 it's a way to you know to take like the stuff that that's in the book that I was you know talking about tonight and taking taking that stuff and you know testing it out in new ways and new levels right like it's one thing to talk about you know relationships that you can view from the earth when you look up and you see the moon mm -hmm. right but what new relationships could be discovered standing on the moon looking back at the earth right that has never been observed that way that we know of right who knows i mean there's people that talk about civilizations on mars right and maybe people lived on mars you know and there's people that say that the moon wasn't always there and that it just arrived you know <laughs> that it wasn't a, a collision with earth that that caused it to orbit the way it does that it just showed up and popped into that spot and started doing its moon thing you know, because <laughs> right. there's some really interesting math about the moon itself, uh, as far as its mass and density and things like that, mm -hmm. um, which I'm going to do a whole episode on that, probably a whole series at some point. But, <laughs> um, but, but it's it's more. I think it's more than just. I mean, I think part of it is like adventurer, explorer. You know, and I think mm -hmm. you have to have some of those folks involved in a process, like you know, doing space exploration, because they're the ones that you know. They'll be like, yes, I do want to be strapped to the top of a giant rocket and shot into space, you know? <laughs> Whereas most people would say, no, thank you. <laughs> you know? um, but you also need people that are, you know, that are there to to say, all right, well, let's explore this so we can have a deeper understanding of who we are. And this reminds me, we forgot to talk in our, you know, first segment, which wasn't really a first segment, um, about what Lila said in her mind of the middle schooler for her portion of it where she just shares something on her own she talked about 
um, you know, what, what we understand as simulation theory. But mm-hmm. she started off by saying, let's all just think about what if we're really all just in a video game? Yeah, you know? right. <laughs> um, and it was really actually, you know, the way she said it was pretty profound and pretty interesting, mm-hmm. um, you know, to, and she laid out the, the theory pretty well without even really knowing it's called simulation theory and, you yeah. know, what all the details of that. But, um, but that's, I mean, that's what she's doing sitting in that chair tonight doing that is the same thing that somebody who's shooting to the moon is doing, Yeah, you know, is, is asking that question. Well, what if this is what we are, or mm-hmm. this is where we are, or this is what this place is like, you know, that, that old uh, jazz tune paper moon <laughs> comes up, you know, um, if it's only a paper moon hanging in a cardboard sky, right. <laughs> you know, you know that I wouldn't believe <laughs> no, I'm it. It wouldn't be make believe if you be believed in me. If you, yeah, right. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, you know, um, right. So, not that I don't. Not a lot of people think that it's a paper moon hanging in a cardboard sky, you know. But the best way to find that out is to shoot yourself in a rocket there, yeah. you know. Yeah. But it's it, it is asking. It it really is like an act that asks the question of who we are, where we are, what we are, you know, what, what is this place, you know, the same way as somebody who studies the very smallest of particles, you know, and Mm -hmm. understanding the way that, uh, the way that photons work, you know, and and what they're made of and, and how they interact and, you know, the way that, uh, quantum particles interact, they're Mm -hmm. doing the same thing. What, what is this all made of and what, who, who are we and what, you know, and it's just such an interesting thing. And it, it was really, it's, I think that's what we're doing on the show is trying to, you know, ask that same question of who are we, what are we, where are we, what is this all, what can we observe from here, you know, from this mm-hmm. studio and what does it all mean? Basement. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Cause I think there is, I really do think that there is this idea of, of lost wisdom mm-hmm. and you've talked, you've talked about it a lot in, in, you know, just your whole segment on the nature fix that you did where you talk about just getting disconnected from that and how quickly all of that can atrophy in, right. In a group of people that, you know, our, you know, our connection to nature can just kind of become this, you know, limp muscle mass hanging off of us and we don't have it anymore. (laughs) You know, that's me describing atrophy by the way. (laughs) (laughs) But it's, it's true. Like, you know, you can get so disconnected from this stuff that you don't even know it was ever a part of you, Mm -hmm. you know? And I wonder as a race, what have we disconnected ourselves from that was always, and still is a part of us. We just don't even know it. Yeah. You know? I mean, I, we've, we've said it probably before, at least it sounds familiar. That we're space dust. Yeah. Right. Stardust. Stardust. Made us made of stars. Yeah. Oh, space dust is a a beer. Yes. <laughs> that's yes. what I that's what I was thinking of. Yeah. Well, we could do that on the show because it I think it pours yellow. So Does it? Yeah. yeah. We haven't gotten into craft yellow beers yet. There's plenty of craft yellow yeah, beers. Right. We're saving the good stuff for <laughs> for uh when we get to episode hundred. Yeah. 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 When we have too many emails to even read on us in one show, yeah, you know, well, that'll happen someday. <laughs> it will. I believe it. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you gotta manifest it. 
Yes, exactly. And what does that say about the world if you can manifest things by willing them? That's a whole other episode. <laughs> but well, then I mean, like the whole. I think JFK in 1961 or something said like we choose to go to the moon in this decade. <laughs> I think is what right. he said. Yeah, and they were probably like, when? Yeah, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, this, the pencil started smoking. You're yeah. like, better do math faster. <laughs> yeah. um, that's I, that's a pretty good example of um, yeah, you know, just manifesting something like oh yeah okay yeah maybe so, we can do this yeah. Yeah, it's uh, no, it's it's fascinating stuff. Yeah. Uh, all right. Do you have anything else there, Jay? Just a little rolling rock. Just to a finish. little rolling rock left. All right. That's We're gonna. All I've got. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's like you know eight, seven more <laughs> out there. I don't know how many we've had. Already, was that a... It was a twelve pack. It's yeah. a start. So it's less than twelve. That's we know that for sure. <laughs> It could be. It would be interesting to see if it's a Fibonacci number in there. You know, have we have we done the uh, golden ratio of <laughs> yeah the golden 12. mean of rolling rock? Now it's eight. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, well, that's it. So it would be. Yeah, it would yeah. be um, eight. No, we would have to have thirteen. We'd have to have an extra one. You'd have to go thirteen and eight and fifteen and five. Right. right. That's a, that's an example of the golden ratio, and that's kind of a clunky one because those those are not exactly 1.618 but Hmm. but that's the idea is like if the hole is 13 right and then you want to cut it into two bits you cut it into eight and five right and now you've got you know the five to eight ratio is very similar to the eight to 13 ratio there you go golden mean in rolling rock beers (laughs) you need a baker's dozen though (laughs) (laughs) two bits yeah (laughs) <laughs> Shave and a haircut. Yeah. <laughs> Two bits. All right. Uh, great. Thank you for listening. This, this is the shortest uh, sode we've ever done because we deleted one segment. Hey, As, we, did, we didn't delete it. We didn't delete uh-huh. it. It deleted itself. Yeah. It wanted to go to Akasha for <laughs> just for the weekend. But once you go yeah, for the for weekend, the long you weekend, maybe. Yeah. It's just like <laughs> you don't come back. Go off uh, to a barbecue somewhere. Yeah. You, I guess you do come back from the Akasha, just in people's visions and stuff. So yeah, yeah. If somebody has a dream about, yeah, you know what Lila said about um, simulation, <laughs> simulation theory, theory. <laughs> you'll know that the first part of this podcast segment has come to you in a yes, you know, some sort of dream. <laughs> uh, it's it's out there. It's in the Akashic record somewhere. I I believe that's true. All right. Uh, well, thanks for listening to the Music of the Spheres podcast. Um, just want to give a special thanks to Richard Heath and the Matrix of Creation. Um, we got it from uh, Inner Traditions uh, Publishing House in Rochester, Vermont. You can find them at innertraditions.com. Head over there, grab the book, um, and then you can read all the math stuff I was talking about tonight for yourself. Um, and uh Tune in next time because uh, Jason's going to have a topic for us. We're going to continue in my episodes talking about Richard Heath's Matrix of Creation for a couple more episodes. And uh, send us an email. What do you think about all this uh, All this stuff? We'd love to hear from you. And uh, hit us up on the socials, even if it's just a little comment here or there. Um, let us know you're out there, and we, uh, we'll keep doing our thing. Um, I think that's it. All right. Send us an email. Go to the socials. Go to innertraditions.com. And uh, yeah, 
you know, y'all have a good night. So from the deepest parts of our beings, we thank you for being a part of our universe here at the Music of the Spheres podcast. Have a great week. dribbling spit isn't that drooling that's well that's what's (laughs) that's what's confusing is it sniffling sniveling or snuffling i don't know